this is really a business case. If you're a manager or if you're a leader of a company or your farm or an organization, just having a group with a more diverse experience sitting at the table sets you up to make better decisions. And so I would say first and foremost, this is all about better business. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Sharpen Podcast, episode 20. Really excited for our topic today with Lindsay Calvert from American Farm Bureau. We're going to talk about women having a seat at the table. A few months ago, American Farm Bureau reached out and uh, wanted to partner together for County Leaders Week. And so uh, there'll be different episodes, different topics coming to the county leaders in each respective state uh, focused on development um, as a leader in the community. And uh, when Lindsay and American Farm Bureau reached out to me regarding this topic, ensuring that our women have a seat at the table um, in Farm Bureau, in agriculture and beyond, um, I was really excited and really grateful and honored that that they would want to partner with Sharpen Podcast. Um, we're going to get to our conversation here really shortly. Uh, my ask also today is that you leave a review for Sharpen. Um, you know, some of the best feedback that we receive on our next topic for young professionals comes from the listeners. Uh, so you can reach out through the uh, Apple Podcast app by leaving a rating, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, as well as uh, you can reach out, contact for me, uh, kirbyograin.com uh, backslash contact, or uh, just check it out in show notes. With that, we'll get started with our conversation today with Lindsay Calvert. Sharpen listeners, this is a, as a treat. Uh, this is a special episode coming to you guys um, in partnership with American Farm Bureau. Um, from American Farm Bureau today, we have our guest, Lindsay Calvert. Lindsay, welcome to the Sharpen Podcast. Thanks, Kirby. I'm excited to be on here. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, Lindsay comes to us from Washington, D.C., and she works in the learning development area of American Farm Bureau. So um, American Farm Bureau is um, or has a county leaders week and um, a new um, a new space that they're exploring this year is delivering content to county leaders uh, through podcast. And I was so excited when uh, the folks at uh, American Farm Bureau reached out um, to uh, to I'll, I'll call this co-host Lindsay. That sounds Whoa. really fun. That's a that's big shoes to fill over here. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, you got to have a super fancy recording studio in your kid's playroom. So it is, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, but in all seriousness, so excited to have Lindsay on today. Um, really looked or really enjoyed connecting um, with Lindsay around this topic of um, not just in agriculture, but all industries, ensuring that our women have a seat at the table. And then when in their at that table, engaging and impacting. And, and we're going to explore that today. But Lindsay, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about you, uh, your story, your background, and uh, what you love to do in life. Awesome. Well, if you would have told me even three and a half years ago, while I was still a very, very poor graduate student at Iowa State, that I would be talking about the need to empower women leaders, I would have thought you were so crazy. So I'm still pinching myself that this is a topic that I've kind of taken on and just really become a passionate about. But like I said, I got my start on my family's farm in this little tiny town called Guthrie Center, Iowa. And growing up, I had that moment in life as a farm kid where I said, 
I don't want to farm. I hate agriculture. I need to run away. And so that's exactly what I did my freshman year of college. I went to University of Iowa because I said, I'm so tired of getting up at 530 a.m. in the morning to do chores before even going (laughs) to school. I do not want to continue doing this. And so it took me until Thanksgiving to realize how much I missed the agriculture industry and being around those people. And so that led me to transfer to Iowa State University, where I finished my degree in journalism. And my plan was to be the next Orion Samuelson. I did some internships with DTN and everything was communications focused. But I realized that I liked helping educate people, but I wanted to do that beyond writing. So that led me to my master's in agricultural education. And I was on the fast track to being a high school agricultural education teacher. And that got paused and halted real quickly when I saw an email for my job here in DC. And it was director of leadership development, sent it to my sister and said, if I had to write a job description, this would be it. And she says, well, why don't you apply? And I'm like, you are so crazy. I'm not doing that. But with encouragement from her and my best friend, I did. And that has led me to D.C., where I've been here three and a half years with American Farm Bureau in two different roles. And um, I love working every day with farmers from all across the U.S., from California to Arkansas up to Maine. And it's been awesome. And so that's my journey here. And if you ask me what I'm passionate about, I'm lucky that my title, Learning and Development, says exactly what I'm passionate about. I love facilitating the aha moments or helping connect dots um, with others and learning. I'm always, I have a book. My friends might tell you how annoying it is that I always bring up my latest book that I'm reading in conversation. And I'm always trying new things. I took an improv class here in DC, started biking to work, just always trying to learn new things. I love that. Um, When we get off this interview, I'll we can nerd out with our book recommendations, okay? Love to. Find me on Goodreads. Deal. I'm trying to read 40 books this year. So if any of y'all are on Goodreads, come look me up. Oh, I love it. I love it. Lindsay, I did not tell you I was going to ask you this question. Uh-oh. So this is even better. Okay, here we go. Um, so we're, we're both farm girls. Yes. We're both farm girls. Um, now that you've been you know, working for American Farm Bureau uh, now for for three years and even outside of that I know you mentioned growing up and you're like I can't wait to get out of here Uh now in hindsight what's that one or two it could be three things that you think having been a farm kid um taught you showed you um created in you what would be some of those things that you're really grateful for Uh, Very simple and not anything profound is being able to wake up early in the morning and being a morning person. I am so much more productive. Like I cannot sleep in past 8 a.m. And so with the crazy travel I have, being able to get up at 6 a.m. is not a bad gig at all. So that's very practical. But then I think like anybody else would say is just the hard work and working with family and alongside family to accomplish that. So many of my favorite memories were with my brother, sister, and my dad just working outside on the farm. And people in D.C., when you say you grew up on a farm, they think you're so cool. And so it's actually a really great conversation starter. Sometimes my taxi cabs say, well, you don't look like a farmer. And so it always provides interesting conversation. Mm, I agree. I agree. And as we transition into the topic for today, um, I think that 
the lenses in which you look at life from having that background um, is really interesting as well. So um, I want to talk to you today. I want to visit on, um, you know, this is, I would call it a hot topic today, but yet we're still really scraping the surface. And that is um, women having a seat at the table. And that may be the table at the workplace, the marketplace, or it may be the um, community board, whatever that may look like. Um, there are all kinds of tables out there. Uh, you know, we, we visit on this in agriculture pretty often, uh, but this isn't an agriculture specific uh, topic of discussion, nor is it particular to farm bureaus. So let's explore that a little bit. What, uh, I guess, why should we be talking about this to begin with? Right. I love that you're using the phrase, uh, the seat at the table or making sure we're not leaving talent off the table. And so in my role as leadership development, we're working a lot with boards and governance and how can we set those boards up for the best success and to make the right decisions. And so for us, this is really a business case. If you're a manager or if you're a leader of a company or your farm or an organization, just having a group with a more diverse experience sitting at the table sets you up to make better decisions. And so I would say first and foremost, this is all about better business. Yes, you might say, well, it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, we're looking at strengthening agriculture and our organizations. And so that leads us to the final point. And especially here at American Farm Bureau, we know that this is mission critical. We are the voice of agriculture and we represent farmers and ranchers and rural communities across the U.S. And so if we want to accurately do that, we need to make sure we have women seated at the table where decisions are being made. The Census of Agriculture in 2012 said about 31 percent of all women or of all farmers and ranchers are women. So we need to make sure we are working to accurately engage all of those. Oh, let's let's highlight that again. Thirty one percent of all farmers and ranchers are women. Yes. I don't know if, if folks that are listening probably would ever think, huh, I, I thought that before this conversation. So that is, first of all, that's super cool. Yeah. And to your point about having representation, it's extremely important. Agriculture, one of the hot topics is we need to help engage consumers and help them make informed decisions about their food choices. And we want to be trusted by them. And people tend to trust others who look like them or who are like them. And so this is really important for us to engage and be the trusted voice of agriculture, too. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. I I get uh, so I have two little girls. Uh, I get a lot of questions from my friends. Um, So we're talking about the this is this is an un um, <laughs> a, a non-funded advertisement here Kroger click list oh it's the best thing ever you order your groceries online you pick it up and so as my friends and I talk about that um, a lot of time the the comment is the reason I love it so much is I don't have to go to the grocery store and agonize over all the choices and feel like a terrible mom because I'm not picking out the exact correct thing mom shame is real. Um, yeah, yeah. And when you have someone that's in that similar season, you can you can talk through that. So one thing, Lindsay, I've heard you. Um, so you, you'll give numerous presentations and have conversations around this throughout the year with your role at American Farm Bureau. One thing that that you talk about in your audiences um, would be the different biases that we have. Talk about that a little bit more, what you mean by that and, and how we can start to think through that. And actually, as I ask that question to you, 
you know, one thing I want to make sure as we have this conversation on the Sharpen podcast, if you're a male listener, you don't tune out, right? Because you might even see the title of this and think, well, you know, that's that that that's for the the ladies that listen to the Sharpen podcast. That's not the case. And I think you're going to tell us why even in sharing a little bit more about biases, but I just want to make sure I clarify yes. that. Yes. Oftentimes when we're giving this talk, I'll go out and recruit men and they say, are you sure it's for me? Like they're interested in the topic. It's like they need affirmation. And so we must have men and women involved in this conversation too. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. But um, and then transitioning to the bias, there's been several studies and I am not an expert. I've just scratched the surface and would love to spend days and weeks reading about neuroscience or unconscious bias, because I think it affects so much of the decisions we make without us realizing it. And so the first study or exposure I had to this was in Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, which if you're um, in business or if you care about this topic, that's a great starting point with high level. And so she has um, referenced a study from Harvard where it says that as men, when they show leadership skills, their likability goes up. Whereas when women, when they exert those same leadership skills or traits, their likability goes down. And there are several studies going back and forth saying maybe maybe it's not true. Maybe the likability of men and women as they climb the ladder goes down equally. But I think it's just a good point for everybody to self-reflect and say, because I know I've been guilty of when I see a woman in high power, one, I'm intimidated of them, or two, sometimes in my mind, I'll say, oh, well, she was really acting, you fill in the blank word. And so just, I've caught myself doing that. And so I think that's a good starting point is what are the um, thoughts going on underneath the surface that are affecting how we view men and women in leadership roles? That's really great. I uh, I think as you intentionally think about this throughout the day, uh, it will draw some of this out where, oh my, like to your point earlier, um, gosh, I'm a, you know, I'm a female in the workplace doing this. And if I thought that, gosh, I wonder um, whom else thought, well, that's just coming on too strong, or maybe you shouldn't have said it like that. You should have said it like this. However, if a male had said those exact same things, it'd be like, wow, way to command the room and give direction and yeah, show and leadership. Yeah, and swing the other um, direction where a man might exhibit um, more emotion than we deem appropriate to stereotypes. And so we view them negatively. Mm-hmm. So it certainly goes both direction. We need to let it be okay for men to exhibit emotion when that goes against the stereotype we've created for them. And we need to allow women to exhibit strong characteristics. So it certainly um, goes both ways. Yeah. That's that's really that's really helpful. Um, you know, as we think about um, some of the ways to enter into this conversation and not just as a conversation, which talking to you is helpful. I think it's important to um, to have conversations like this on things such as podcasts, but I mean, really enter into it and then do something as a part of it. Um, you know, one thing I've heard that y- you talk about and speak about is to encourage all leaders, male and female, um, to think about mentorship. So uh, maybe from a personal perspective, uh, from the perspective of American Farm Bureau, tell us a little bit more about that, what you've seen um, as the value of those relationships. And uh, I'll tell you, we had one of our very first episodes was on mentorship um, with a guy by the name of Dave Neff from Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, so just as a reference point, if anybody talks about it 
you know, male, female, but for today's conversation, it's more of that females in the workplace or at the table or on a community board. So just share with us a little bit about what American Farm Bureau is doing and then your perspective. Yeah. Personally. And then another term that people have been using is a step further than mentorship and using the word sponsorship because mentorship can kind of be a transaction of information or advice where sponsorship, if you're sponsoring a person, you're putting your neck out on the line to say, you should choose this person for this board position or for um, this higher up promotion. And so I think that's even a step further is not even just exchanging advice, but being able to stand beside them and back them up and really support them in that way. And so um, we're just looking at the most important and beneficial mentorships people have tend to come from informal programs. Certainly the formal mentorship programs, there is a place for those and those are good. But oftentimes the, the best piece of advice you've ever gotten probably came from a conversation you had over a happy hour or over a lunch or over coffee. And so just encouraging, and it sounds bad, but we want to encourage men to sponsor and mentor women. If we have such a gap um, in all industries and in corporate America with men having a greater percentage of the high leadership positions, if they're only seeking out to mentor men, then that continues to widen and firm that gap. And so that's one of the things we've been encouraging is one, encouraging women to seek out men mentors and vice versa. And certainly um, young professional men seeking out women mentors as well. I love your use of the word sponsorship because it also implies um, an investment into, right? Sometimes when we think of mentorship, it's like, you know, we, we, um, we, we talk over coffee and not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I am pro coffee, pro caffeine. Um, (laughs) But what I love about the word sponsorship is it shows like, Hey, I'm going to, invest, I am going to sacrifice in this space to invest in this person um, for their development and their impact on the community. So that's a really, that's a helpful shift. Um, You know, Lindsay, one thing that um, I had advice from, um, advice on from a mentor, um, she told me, she said, uh, I I was in this trap, if you will, of thinking that I needed a mentor Mm -hmm. who was female, who and every detail in my life that matched up, right? Like it sounded like I had a, a dating app. I was like, well, preferably she grew yeah. up on a farm and, you know, she really, uh, you know, she has two children these age. She works in da, 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 whatever all the criteria. And I think that that is something that mm-hmm. we've been fed as millennials, you know, this match made in heaven mentorship. What she challenged me to do was to think about this in terms of a bus, right? You've heard get the people on your bus. Sometimes you got to get some of the, some people off the bus that aren't um, speaking life and helpfulness into your, your, your life. Uh, But that, to your point, that started for me to rethink, you know, there may be this individual, male or female, that's super helpful in, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say agronomy, right? Because that's one aspect of my job. And that person becomes a mentor. It doesn't mean that they're um, going to mentor me on how to potty right. train my kids, uh, but it means that they can be helpful in this space. And and my hope is that obviously I can contribute into their lives as well. Can sure. you speak to that? So 
Uh, well. We often like to use the term your personal board of directors, whether that's for your business or for your life. So you would have many different roles. You would have somebody who would be the encourager, your cheerleader, always pushing you on. Maybe somebody who's more of the challenger and saying, pushing back a little bit and giving you critical feedback. So not everybody needs to fit all those roles. You might have a personal mentor. You might have professional. Uh, my mentorship for personal or spiritual or work are all different and they certainly don't even know each other. And so um, the two big mentors that I've had were actually both men. And I would say that I am where I am today without a doubt because they not just mentored me, but they sponsored me. So big shout out to Dr. Paulson from Iowa State, who gave me such a good letter of recommendation um, for applying for American Farm Bureau and American Farm Bureau taking a chance on me and my old boss, Kyle Perry, the way he's mentored and sponsored me throughout my career so far. And so I think we just need to encourage and applaud and um, make sure we're pointing out when those things are happening. Oh, that's so cool. You're talking about I just have to, you, you mentioned Kyle's name. He's been a mentor for me as well. Good people. And so shout, yeah, shout out to Kyle. Um, I love that um, his, um, his, his relationships and um, would be mentoring men, women of all generations. And so he's really living that out. This is a, I didn't realize that fully to this conversation yeah, today. So that's really cool. He left us to go to a uh, um, farm credit. He was going to co-facilitate this <sighs> session on women leaders at convention just to show that um, people all over should care. And so, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That uh, I, I always allow guests to make a shout out, but I'm going to totally take my opportunity as the co-host today with you, Lindsay, and, and give a shout out to Kyle Perry for that uh, in, of, in and of itself. You know, I love I love that we talked practically about mentorship and having a board of directors and no, it's not necessarily one person. And as a as a woman, it's not necessarily a female um, that will only be a mentor for you. As you're thinking about the work that American Farm Bureau is doing with its county boards and its leaders across the states um, and beyond, what are some of those other next steps to ensure that we are engaging women to have a seat at the Certainly. table? Certainly. So a few practical assignments. One, with the mentorship and sponsorship comes the encouragement of stretch assignments. Men are more likely to go after a position, a job title, whatever that may be that they're not entirely qualified for based on the job description, where women tend to wait until they feel fully ready to run for that position on on their city council or maybe at their Farm Bureau board. And so that is one thing, woman or male, know that the time is never perfectly right to step up and do something that is risky. Career progression comes from taking risk. This isn't like high school where we can just hold up our hand and wait for somebody to call on us. You have to do a little bit of self-promotion and taking risk. And so that's certainly the truth for men and women to do that. And then some of the work that we're doing, we're certainly doing a lot of training programs and we have a new online learning portal at Farm Bureau called Farm Bureau University that we're encouraging people to go through just to help them become better board members and up to speed quicker. And that's talking about engaging all generations and how do you um, make sure you're planning programs that are true to your mission and that will help engage all people. And so you and I were talking earlier about a few things that companies or organizations do, and it's something as simple as what time or day do they have their meetings? If your meetings are always Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., that might take 
men or women off the table because they have young children and can't go. So if you really want to engage young generations, you might have to change the time of your meeting or meet over a conference call. And another thing we're encouraging members to do is when you recruit um, a new member, especially um, we're, we're a family organization. So a husband and wife join as one member. And so when you're recruiting for the board or activities, are you recruiting the husband and the wife equally, keeping in mind that they're two individuals who you need to ask both of them to get involved and not just one and assume the other will follow. And so those are just a few of the things that we're encouraging Farm Bureau members to do throughout the U.S. Oh, that's so good. So if you're a a Farm Bureau member listening, if you're a young professional listening, take this, translate it into whatever your, your atmosphere looks like. Those could be some really great places to start. Lindsay, you know, one thing you and I talked about um, a couple of weeks ago when we were um, meeting each other um, is uh, creating atmospheres where your, um, your female employees, members, fill in the blank of whatever the, the, uh, the connection is, but a space for, for them to meet and to gather and to, to continue to have this conversation and maybe um, a little bit more in depth. And I remember I shared with you, I was like, you know, at, at first I was like, do we really need to have a, a, you know, a separate space? Is that isolating women even more so in this? And I shared with you that I was at, a, at an event um, for an agriculture group and it was the, uh, the women uh-huh. network meeting. And um, some of the company leadership, um, a lot of a lot of men, right, uh, were invited to attend this event. And then they walked into the room and it was kind of like a bigger appreciation where, oh, this is what you guys feel 99.9% of the time coming into every other event. There's no one that <laughs> remotely resembles you as a woman. And so I'm learning the value of those types of gatherings for men and women not just in identifying that, hey, I don't know of a crowd of 200 if there's another woman here, but also the conversations that take place, it seems to, to free up the space a little bit. And so that's just one that, that, I, that you and I had talked about. Yeah, certainly that's such a good example because I've definitely been one, the only woman in the room at times, and I've been the youngest person in the room where people will ask like, oh, how old you are? We're to the point where my age was an insecurity at times. And this wasn't in work. This was just in DC. It could have been at receptions or out about. And so just keeping in mind that like making people, regardless of age or gender, feel comfortable in a situation goes so far to make them um, just continue to grow. Mm, That's good too. That's really great. And then vice versa, if you have a if you have a male um, who is in a, you know, a primarily mm-hmm. only female audience and, and just taking that into consideration as well. And, and then how do we um, cultivate conversations there? Um, so it's um, so it's uh, across the board. So, uh, Lindsay, I've really appreciated our, our time together. Um, you know, we never get to explore a topic um, on sharpen to the utmost in depth that, that I would love to, I think that you've given us some great, um, some great considerations, whether it is why we need to be talking about this, the biases that we have, and then some of the next steps, um, you know, on this podcast, we love to, uh, ask two questions every time, uh, of our guests. And what I've loved about in the midst of what we talked about today, you have been making shout outs. And so that's been really 
that's been really cool. But I, I will still, I'm not going to revoke your shout out now because you intertwine them. Um, who would you like to make a shout out sure. to? Sure. So I'll give my shout out to my mom. My mom was the primary breadwinner of my family simply because she was a CPA. So finances were her deal. And so she always dealt with finances. So I've never actually gone out to eat where my dad paid. It was always my mom. And I thought that was completely normal. And so both my parents, just for showing me what a good and strong partnership looks like. And so big shout out to them and to Elise Stoddard for helping set this podcast up. Lindsay, we always also ask um, the uh, the game changer for our guests. So it can be a conversation, a book. I'll throw that out there because I know you're a book bookworm. Um, it could be a food item. It could be whatever it is, but it has sent your path in a different direction and has so been what a was game the changer, game changer for, for me to care about this topic was a really random statistic that up until last year, there was more John CEOs leading Fortune 500 companies than women. And so for some reason, that was the last straw on the donkey's back that said that is unacceptable. And so that's what made me start diving and looking into this topic. And so I would say that's the biggest game changer. And the book game changer, I just read one by um, called The Next Generation Talent of oh, the Talent Generation. It, it was published through ASAE, which is an association for associations. So if you're looking at how to engage all generations, especially the next one, that's a perfect book. Oh, okay, perfect. We will put that in our show notes as well. So folks can can check that out. Um, I remember you and I were talking about the the John statistic. And so think about that, folks. If you gathered all of the John, first name John, CEOs in a room with all of the female CEOs, the Johns would outnumber. And Lindsay, I remember you going into this a little bit more. What what yeah, were some so of the other So that was true up until last year. The number of female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies has hit an all-time high of 32. Last year in 2016, it was only 21. And Johns took a hit last year. But if you put all the Johns or Michaels in a room, that's still bigger than the women. Or if you combine the James and the Thomases in a room, that's a bigger group of people than women. And there's currently no African-American woman leading a Fortune 500 company. And so I have a hard time believing that's because they're less capable or um, as qualified. And so I think that is a huge reason as to why we should continue this conversation. Oh, that's so good. And by the way, uh, if you're a listener with the first name of John, still, Michael, James, appreciate you. One, um, this. Yeah. We still love and appreciate you. This is not, uh, some of them are like, I'm going to unsubscribe from this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate what you're doing and we encourage you in the next steps of your piece of this conversation. So Lindsay, thank you for your time. Um, I, uh, I'm really grateful that you're leading this conversation at American Farm Bureau. I think there's going to be great fruit. Um, we're definitely seeing that as leaders, male or female, are open to this conversation. And for me, it's super encouraging. And so I just thank, thank you. For we're your work so glad that we could well. partner with you on this podcast. Mm-hmm.